Who's hosting? Are you hosting my team or am I hosting? Do you want me to? I don't care. I'm hosting. No, just kidding. <laughs> Welcome to Free Reeling It. The Caroline uh, podcast. I'll take it. <clears throat> yeah, you know what? Why don't you, Caroline? Just throw the whole wrench at this. This is going to be great. No, okay, I'll do it. No. <laughs> <laughs> What's good? What we're going to do is there's going to be moments within the podcast where if you reverse it, you hear Caroline give special messages. <laughs> Gosh, if we had time to do backwards Imagine masking, I would love that. That. Yeah. that. That would be so dope. Oh my goodness. Oh, don't don't give me ideas like that, Jesse. I will spend this all night trying just, to do. Is just the the uh, the Led Zeppelin album the conspiracy. That's all this game is. Um, or the Beatles album, or the Pink Floyd album. Stop! Stop saying stuff. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Welcome to Free Reeling It, uh, your movie watching podcast with a couple of friends. Uh, I'm one of those. I'm one of these friends. My name is Matthew, and I'm joined by the other of these friends, Jesse. Jesse, how are you? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? I'm doing really well. Uh, had a day at work. I've had a week, and I'm uh, I've been excited and terrified to talk about what we're about to talk about with our lovely friend. Caroline, my co-host on Trivial Merit, as well as a writer and uh, all-around awesome person on the internet. Caroline, how are you? Hey, I think I'm okay. I've also, it's it's been a day and a week also. Yes. But I am, I'm very excited to be here and to be talking about what we're talking about. I'll let you introduce it because it's your show. <laughs> okay, so we are actually kind of talking about a movie but kind of talking about a game we're talking about three movies actually and kind of talking about uh a a meta commentary uh as well as several layers of of intrigue but we're talking about a game called immortality uh it's I think the director is Sam Barlow yep. behind the team that is behind uh, a couple of years ago, they did telling lies. And then in her the middle, story. in the middle of the last decade, uh, her story was a big deal on phones. Now, Caroline, you brought this to us. You want to talk about it a little bit before sure. we get into, before we get into the meat of it. Cause I was sort of thinking we talk about, the three films that are in it and then talk about all the stuff behind if that's okay with you yeah that sounds awesome okay Okay. so some a little peek behind the curtain which is Mm -hmm. that Matthew and Jesse are both dear friends of mine and they've been hassling me to be a guest on their show for a long time and I am I, I enjoy movies, but I'm not like a, I'm not like a movie person. So I was just always like, what would I even do? Like, what would I bring? I, I don't know a lot about film. 
um, I don't like to even say the word film. That makes me feel weird. So, um, but when I was playing Immortality, I was like, wow, I'm actually thinking about things like that these are different kinds of shots that are covering the same scene and the cinematography is interesting and, you know, the acting is beautiful and the way that they do um, the different periods of time in filmmaking and how they look so different. I was like, this is... (laughs) this is film. This is what I'm thinking about. So that's when I proposed that we take a little interdisciplinary beer. And I think that that kind of pairs well with Sam Barlow's spirit, which is his games are kind of on that boundary and trying to make it a little bit messy and fuzzy because her story and telling lies are also both full motion video games. Mm -hmm. And in this case, the only real difference is that, yeah, he has made three different scripted films instead of depicting like conversations between people that are supposed to be off the cuff. So, yeah. So, yeah, I when I played it, I just I was so surprised how like basically you end up watching the entirety of these movies several times while you're fishing around for the next thing to click on and stuff like that. And I was like, I'm not bored of this at all. I think all these shots are beautiful. These actors are amazing. Like. It was one of the best things I have seen that I would think of as film in a long time. And that's reflected in the, in the credits where it's literally like three feature film length credits in a row Mm because they have crews and everything. So yeah, I feel like I just talked a lot. Does that help? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a good introduction to everything. Mm -hmm. Now, do either of you have experience uh, or actually Jesse, did you want to add anything to that? I'm sorry. Uh, No, I, I, I was pitching as this is like, hey, this is a movie, uh, this game about movies. Um, it's the weird things happening that you got to play it. And Caroline got all my play by plays as I was slowly discovering the the trickery of this game. Oh, she paradise killered you. Yeah, th- this is the second time this has happened because she paradise killed <laughs> me before with paradise killer. Um, so, yeah, th- I, I, I trust Caroline at this point to just recommend to me anything and I kind of just go with it. Yep. Um, but yeah, no, this is, this is a very like interesting thing. And I, I don't know, we, we've never really talked about it, but I think both of us are very big Lynch fans, David Lynch fans. And this is very, very David Lynch in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, now before we get into the meat of like immortality discussion, I had only played her story prior to this. I did not play. I've not played Telling Lies yet. Um, have Have either of you played the other two Sam Barlow games? Yes, I have played them both. Okay. Um, and actually, I hadn't played Telling Lies until recently. Mm-hmm. And I think that game. Okay, so just to like a quick and dirty introduction. Her story is okay. Sorry, Chester, please move. Um, <laughs> her story is a police interrogation of the same woman you see clips of her the whole time you're investigating what she's saying by searching for words Mm -hmm. Uh, and all the clips are just her you'd never see the other person you don't know what they're asking her um telling lies is conversations between usually between two people so you have both sides of the conversation um and you can search for things that they're each talking about to try to get the other side. But it does mean that like you might watch an eight minute clip and four minutes of it are just sitting there because the other person is talking and you don't see them. So it's just like the pacing isn't quite right. It doesn't quite work as well. And I interviewed Sam Barlow in 2019 about making the jump from like very small video clips uh, from her story to 
the much longer, more robust exploration in telling lies. Mm-hmm. And that was a very, he's a super nice man. He's very smart. He was very generous with his time. And basically he was like, I saw how many people finished her story. And I was like, I just got to make a bigger game. <laughs> so that's what he, that's what he did. And I feel like that's what he did again. And this game is Jesse and I have talked about this. It's like, you feel like you have a sense of what's going on. And then you're like, maybe I only have half the things unlocked. <laughs> you know, like it's very, very big. Oh yeah. And like, I know for a fact that I am well, I'm well shy of a hundred percent of the clips here yeah you playing it on xbox where you can see i was i was playing it on game pass so i was on my pc yeah yeah jesse your your experience with this team's games um i've only played one other sam barlow game and that was ghost rider in 2007 where he was lead designer on oh my really? gosh wow yeah, if you look at actually nice. sam barlow's like uh video game history uh uh-huh. it's very interesting that how many like games he was lead designer on but like then you get her story and telling lies, but like he was lead designer on Silent Hill Origins and uh, Serious right. Sam: The Next Encounter and stuff like that. Like it's very interesting. Um, he was a triple A guy, and then I was, didn't like, even look at any of that. So like that's all oh, news yeah. to me. Yeah, lead designer and fun. writer on two Silent Hill games, and I don't think either one of those are super popular, but still, it's interesting that the horror is his his thing, and he kind of stuck with it because like you can argue that this isn't a horror game but the reason we picked it for october because i thought it was pretty spooky (laughs) it's yeah it's uh i do think it's a horror game i would say that when when i when i think i saw a little bit of the conversation between you two about this and i was like but and then when i was playing it i'm like oh no this is definitely this is this is the right time for this uh so yeah um so what do you say we get into talking about immortality? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll I'll start just by giving uh, a bit context of this is about a fictional. This is all fictional stuff, but I think mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's very key to talk about how it deals with very real things that have happened on movie sets and continue to happen yeah. on movie sets and very tragic things that happen on movie sets. And these are parodies of a lot of real things and real people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you know a lot about movies and you play this game, you'll pick up on things real fast. Also, there's a whole like about section in the menu that I didn't know until after I beat the game that gave me a lot more context for what was going on. <laughs> and I didn't realize I, I picked up a lot of it just by context clues, but I'm like, Oh, now I know the timeline of all these movies and what happened. Like supposedly she went missing and stuff. Yes. Yes. There's a lot of um, interesting secret stuff. Yes. I think, I think what Jesse said is, is apt to, because um, I think the game kind of lures you in a little bit with certain things about like the idea of filmmaking and about movie stars, because um, are we, Okay. Can we spoil things? Yeah, it's full full spoilers for the entire thing from here on out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, something I, when I was playing it, something I, I realized was like the first two movies are set or take, are supposed to be being made in the late 1960s. Mm-hmm. And then you jump forward almost 30 years yes. and she looks the same. And, and, and so does he. Yeah. Yeah. And it just like, didn't, it didn't dawn on me in a conscious way that she looked exactly the same. Cause I'm so used to people in movies being like timeless, you know? And yeah. then finally I was like, no, something is not right about this. She's just <clears throat> the same person. They haven't, 
they haven't aged her. They've put her in a bad wig, but she doesn't look different, you know? Yeah. And that kind of, it felt like it was subverting my expectations of like, what does a movie star look like and how long do they still look the same? And, you know, yeah, I was thinking about this today, actually. There's like, um, there's a period, I think, in everybody's life where they just kind of stay the same. They look the same for quite a while. And then all of a sudden, boom, age hits you. Um, <laughs> and, and like, it's, I think it's somewhere between like your mid to late 20s to like early, uh, like mid to late 40s. Like, I, there was some, I don't remember what celebrity it was, but I'm like, that guy, that guy hasn't aged it in. It's been like 20 years since the last time I saw him. And then like, I looked at him, I was like, oh, wait, but yeah, this is when it starts hitting you. <laughs> like, life just catches up some point. Looking at yeah. you, Paul Rudd, one point, it's going to happen. <laughs> um, but I think the other interesting thing is, as you talked about, like the bad wig in the last movie, this movie is really interested in how movies are made this movie this game is really interested in how movies are made and Mm -hmm. you can see the progression of like there i think the thing i like the most about this just story-wise is the establishing in this especially in the second uh film in minsky like all the scenes where they're trying to figure out how to make this movie they don't know how they're gonna do it It, it's it's bold it's different it's taxi driver is what they're making in a lot of ways like Mm -hmm. they're trying to figure out how to make this movie and um and we spend a lot of time in that process. And then you get to the third movie, um, which is called, uh, what's the, what's the third one I call again? Two of Two everything. Two of everything. Yeah. Cursed. You get to that one and it's, all, it's all rehearsal, like behind the scenes. They're not really trying to find like locations or anything. And it like hit me. It's like, oh yeah, movies, movies aren't like in, at, like in the like depths as they used to be. Like it's very slowly, but surely movies progress more and more from being like, boots on the ground to like let's practice everything to now we're on green screen well i also think i also think that there's a there's also a progression in terms of everybody's knowledge of the craft at that point yeah so like maybe they try and they they try and do it like with minsky and um well definitely minsky not so much i didn't really see this so much in ambrosio but Minsky, it's just like a whole bunch of people just get together to make a movie and they're trying to figure it out. Whereas in two of everything, they have like a playbook. Uh, it's like they figured out what pre-production was <laughs> or or what uh, a script supervisor is. or um, And like even the scenes with um, Marissa Marcel doing multiple takes without really shutting the camera off, where she's just like, let's go again. Like that's that's that seems like a very seasoned actor technique. Um, I think um, something about Minsky is that um, it's kind of presented as an outsider project all along. <clears throat> and the director guy, whose name I think is John, uh-huh. um, John even is like, you know, that he wants it to be more like a documentary. He wants people to improvise more. He wants um, things to be looser. And it's funny because you kind of see the chaos that that creates where they're like yeah. trying to match everything up. But, you know, like, I think every every artist gets to that point where they think they're going to reinvent the wheel. They're like, no, my wheel's better. And then they're like, oh, this sucks. That's why other people aren't doing it this way. You know, like, yeah, you can't just, uh, so to speak, free reel it. <laughs> <laughs> Badoom tish. <laughs> One pun on the counter. I've said the name of the show. I think that means the show is over now. No, not at all. It's short episode. <laughs> Only half an hour. <laughs> Um, yeah so uh, i guess we should start with like let's go through the films one by one and kind of give maybe a quick plot synopsis but kind of like things that we picked up from the films 
Yeah. Yeah. So the first one is Ambrosio, which is basically a movie about uh, a monk who really wants to have sex and decides to manipulate a bunch of women to do that. And he thinks he finds like an angel or a demon woman. And that's who, um, gosh, uh, Marissa plays the main character. And it's directed by a very Alfred Hitchcockian person. Yeah. There's definitely a strong, like, auteur kind of sense with how they are all very reverent toward the filmmaker guy. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, there's a few lines in the interviews that they do post this about like around the Minsky time, like the fake Johnny Carson interviews. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. I'm so, I just want to say, fuck that fake Johnny Carson. Oh my God. But it, <laughs> that was, it, like, it, did you love it or did you hate it? I hated it so much. And I think that's, I think that's kind of the point. I think, I think they're definitely going for that misogynist asshole reaction, speaking to a woman like she has no clue what she's even doing there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and like giggling, giggling with her about how old she is and how she yeah. looks. <laughs> you're smarter than you look fuck you <laughs> fuck off <laughs> but but the way they talk about the director um who i don't remember his name for this uh oh arthur that's his name arthur fisher um is very much the way from just learning about film history that hitchcock has kind of talked about later in his career about after yeah. I, I don't know what, I don't know what point, but there's a point where Hitchcock keeps on making he just keeps making movies, and people are like these aren't good anymore. And you need to stop, but you re- people respected them too much to tell them not to. Yeah. Um, so and especially then, like you learn more and more too about how he kind of preyed on the young women and the actresses that came through his door. Like there's stuff supposedly about Hitchcock doing similar things. Like mm-hmm. it's just it all read, read that way and. And especially in the production design of these things is like, I think one of my favorite clips of it is there was supposed to be a bat, I think, flying through at one point or a dove or some bird in particular is supposed to fly through. And it's just a bird on a string. And he goes, well, yeah. put it in post. So put a real bird in post. <laughs> it is fair. Yes. And they have to like, like there's a scene where uh, Marissa is playing a character who turns out to be the devil and yes. she is holding like a big scary book and they have to, swap her out real quick and then hang the book from like the fishing line it's pretty rough stuff <laughs> or, or the the painting where like he's like paint, praying to the painting and they're like okay now, yeah. s- now stay still and he absolutely doesn't stay still he and they sh- stay still. yeah and he swaps him. out the painting for the real person i think um oh no i've just had a pretentious english major thought i'm sorry that this oh, no, is go for my, it. my brain yes. works but all three of us yes, um please. but i was just thinking how like they they constantly are telling Marissa like okay there's a really gruesome uh, sex scene in Ambrosio where Marissa is like has her face pressed into the bed and she keeps looking at the camera and they're like Marissa stop and she won't there's uh, the scene where Sophia the young Italian woman is supposed to be dead or whatever she's got like the Romeo and Juliet deadness and um, she won't stop breathing they're like we can see you and then um, Yeah, there's the couple of times when they tell him to be still and he just absolutely doesn't. And I think it's interesting that the three young people who are like the vanguard of what's going to come next in filmmaking are being told to like stand still and behave. And basically they're like, no, you know, and then the guy who he's like the he's like the lead camera guy. 
right? John, uh, director yeah. of photography, yeah. John Durgan. Yeah. So he's like, he's like the DP on this super stodgy movie where he sees that like energy is being squelched and it's like with these hacky uh, post effects that are not, you know, you don't need to use those. And so then he's like, I'm going to make Minsky and it's going to be like much more naturalistic and, you know, and I find that very interesting. There's also another thing in the rehearsals for this film. There's a sex scene, which uh, I don't know about you guys, but most of um, the sex stuff in the first film just made me feel gross. Um, oh, yeah. It's the, super gross. Yeah. yeah the the, no, the sex stuff in the second film felt way less gross. And then the sex stuff in, sex stuff in the third film felt like middle of the road gross. Um, yeah. yeah. It's very funny how that kind of that it felt plays. like a, it felt like a I, I, I hate to say it this way but in the third film it feels like a well curated gross yeah it feels like they actually have like um sensitivity coaches on set yeah yeah there we go but um, in the third movie since there's there's like an inherent grossness because it's all about pretending to be somebody that you're not so there's like an inherent dishonesty that makes even the benign things gross yeah mm-hmm. Um, but there, there's this, there's even the practice in the first one where there, there's a sex scene between uh, the main actor man and the Italian woman who I think is supposed to be underage, which always makes this very, very gross still. And she brought back, brought back from the dead, I think, in this plot. Um, I think where, in the, her in her audition, she says that she's 19. Uh, yeah, I was thinking movie-wise, though, they, they play it like she's way young. And oh, like yeah, yeah, young. yeah. Um, yeah, she's definitely the victim. Where, but they 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 have to they're practicing the sex scene, and he's he's counting down. I think from like ten seconds or counting up to ten, and I'm like, oh yeah, you could only have a certain amount of seconds of on screen thrusting before you get rated whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just mentally, it's like ah. they even thought about that stuff where they have to like time it. Yeah. Um, and and so, like those small details on the on the film side of things. Uh, it's just really, really cool. Yeah, I like that it 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 walks an interesting line because a lot of stuff is so accurate like that, but then there's other stuff like um, the amount that they swear and how, I guess, like extra obscene it sometimes is. I can't yeah. think of a good example of this offhand, but it definitely, I was like trying to think even in what I would consider like the most kind of outer reaches of movies from this time. Like I always think about Bonnie and Clyde. That's one of the most extreme movies I can think of that's from this time period. Mm-hmm. and um it would just like this amount of swearing and stuff would not like the thought of a 18 year old actress saying the f word a lot yeah in a movie like this is like wild that would be yeah very interesting there's would that you... scene where they're practicing in mitski where he's trying he's trying to curse and i'm like no no you you don't you're saying like you it's a foreign word you, you gotta like yes. get into it and like they're practicing oh. how to swear that's very he's good so pure. learn to make it a comma it's not hard well, and getting getting, I, th- I think we're probably about to veer into the second movie. But what I what getting back to like sort of trying to keep it period accurate, Ambrosio definitely feels like a Hitchcock type figure trying to stay relevant. Yeah, when the entire cinematic world is, especially at this time, is changing around him because a movie like Bonnie and Clyde, uh, at least in terms of Hollywood, is sort of the opening salvo to oh yeah 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 an absolute crew of younger filmmakers coming in in the 70s and changing old hollywood from what it was like it's never the same again after that yeah what is that what is that movement 
called? It's like New American Cinema. You know, like something like well, that. It has a name. They probably call. They probably called it the American New Wave, and I think more, uh, more. It, it's more just like a play on the French New Wave, um, because like there's... Bonnie, Bonnie and Clyde, and um, not necessarily the Wild Bunch, but like they definitely sort of stem from the french new wave idea it was called new mm-hmm. hollywood that's right okay yes i was just looking to see what the yeah because it was it was not just kind of that knockoff of um european or international filmmaking but it was also like it coincided with the crashing decline of the studio system that yeah. suddenly made it so that actors were much more like free agents and could take swings on ambitious projects that were weird and not like commercially viable and stuff. And um, it, was it allowed the death of, like, all those indies to come back. Yeah. It was around the death too of like films being something you went out to go do and films becoming more like things you pay a quarter to go do um, mm-hmm. and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then you also had a right, you had, you and I hate to say it this way, but you had the correct mix of weirdos in the right places like John Cassavetes bringing a lot of, a lot of people to, you know, to his films and making great, great movies in his own right and becoming semi-famous because of those films also being a good actor as well. You also had the, uh, the, the Roger Corman crew that would, you know, you would, it would give us like Pam Greer. Um, I believe, Scorsese's early works are produced by Corman. I could be wrong on that, but there were there, there was a right mix of weirdos bringing very talented people to the front uh, without relying on is this name big enough? Yeah, yeah. Is this is will this person sell? And and yeah, and, and this is back getting back to immortality. Like the dichotomy between Ambrosio and Minsky straddles that line very adeptly and, and yeah. there's there's a sense of showing reality that you get kind of in the po- the, the pre-production stuff of Mitski and uh and that feels like this wave of hollywood too because it's, it's a very angry wave and it's a wave of people who either are mad and they want to talk about it or grew up in film and be like how cool of it, it was if everything was so magical like this every time mm-hmm. and um it's, yeah it's really it's very cool that they pulled it off. They pulled off the feel very, very well. Yeah. I also like that they brought in, are we, are we talking about Minsky now? Do we yes. think? Sure. Okay. <laughs> um, one of the things I think is cool about Minsky is that they link it explicitly with Andy Warhol and like the art scene in New York. And yeah. so you end up, um, it gives you almost a feeling of like dramatic irony to see how, earnestly invested all the filmmakers are in the kind of like Andy Warhol generated superstar scene and stuff. And I also really like that Minsky includes a lot of queer characters that are like explicitly like queer characters. It's not like a big secret. And um, in the behind the scenes footage, there's even like, like when I was first playing, I thought that they were suggesting that um, the director, John, what's his name? And, um, what is the Carl. actor, Carl Greenwood? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought at first that they were suggesting that the two of them were gay. And I was like, this is chill. That 
is accurately reflecting what would have been reality at the time. But it just turned out to be just like relatively non-toxic depictions of masculinity that I also enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's um, there's something with Marissa's character, which we'll get in, I guess we can get into when we get, talk about the weird stuff in this game and why she's kind of so direct in these ways. But mm-hmm. um, there's a moment and there's a clip that you get where they're at, it's a party before they start filming and mm-hmm. they're talking about Carl's, like how many women has he slept with? Mm-hmm. And he's, he's being very manly about it all. And I think that basically tells Marissa, okay, I got to get this guy to loosen up because yes. we're not going to get the, we're not going to get the performances we need unless we can get him to loosen up. And I think that's where all of those other clips come afterwards with the queer actors and stuff where they're dressing him up, they're putting him in makeup. And like, mm-hmm. there's a one scene where he's like, you have to look uncomfortable. And he goes, I feel real uncomfortable right now. <laughs> he's so funny. He's so like funny. He, yeah. He looks like he's having a good time with everybody. I feel like, um, yeah, we should. Okay. So in the film Minsky, he is the detective and he's called in because this artist is murdered. And then it gets really confusing for me because it turns out the main suspect is the artist muse. Then you find out that Carl owns a portrait that's of her Uh and they end up sleeping together and she is still the main suspect. And so it's, it's um, like calling it noir doesn't feel accurate enough. It's like, next level like i mean it's like psychological you know it's the 80s wave of neo-noir with like night moves and stuff like that yeah yeah and it's all you also have that feeling of like carl's character isn't the good guy either you know Mm -hmm. he's just as weird and has weird little motives and um is sneaky and inappropriate about his relationship to the case and you know so Oh yeah, ethical lines be damned here. <laughs> yeah. Right. And they they do like um they dress him in drag. He looks very hot in drag, by the way. But um, and they take him to I guess just it's it doesn't even look like a kinky club. Other people are just wearing regular clothes. Um, but it's just like there's no boundaries here about what's actually being solved or not. He just wants like a journey into this underworld. You know, yeah, he, he's 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 deciding to live out a Lou Reed song, basically. Yes. <laughs> and um, but I, I do really like the way that the relationship is depicted between Marissa and the filmmaker, John, and that they are like scouting locations together and stuff like that. And you see a lot of behind the scenes um, thinking and it is. Yeah, it's like the naturalistic feel of the final film itself matches with that. You have all this documentary type footage that kind of links in with them being part of this, like Andy Warhol scene. Mm -hmm. And it makes it almost like the line is very blurry about what is quote unquote real and what is part of the final film, which I think is cool. Yeah. The, the three lead actors, uh, I, I, I hope that this game blows up enough and people pay attention to it enough, especially like people, there's a lot of there's a lot of directors nowadays that like playing video games, um, and I hope they pay attention to these actors uh, because I think all three of them are really really good. Yes, yeah. um, like extremely good. Uh, the the, play, the guy plays Carl. The guy plays the uh, the the second director and the woman that plays Marissa are just extremely good in all their roles, and yeah. they're all extremely attractive. They could be leads in things. Please make them leads in things. Yes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I just I kind of want them to blow up. That's all. 
Agreed. I think that based on how they were acting on social media after the game came out, uh, they were surprised by the almost immediate overwhelming success of the game and that it kind of turned them into not not stars, but like to a certain demographic of us, you know? Yeah. And it is, We I think it's, yeah, I mean, any of these three movies, like I exist in the world. I scroll Netflix and watch original movies that are very mediocre, you know? <laughs> like, sure, yeah. I, I follow your letterbox, Caroline, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I um, see you, Caroline. <laughs> this is just like so much better than that. And yeah. I know that Sam Barlow must have had quite a big budget in order to make all of this, but not an extreme budget. You know, this isn't like what's um, Boardwalk Empire where Scorsese made the pilot, right? And it was yeah. like a $20 million pilot. <laughs> yeah. Or like Lord of the Rings, right? Every episode's like $200 million. Yeah. Oh my God. Or, or, or Game of Thrones that. where, <laughs> like, I mean. Well, on Game of Thrones, they have to pay to blot out the sun so it can always be very dark. So they have to like, call in a Mr. Burns-like scheme. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, Minsky also deals with very... Oh, okay. This is another example of when I was like, this is not how movies would really be. Like, um, there's a scene where Marissa's character is... First of all, she's been naked. Now she's wearing a robe, but he comes in and she's just naked and sleeping at the crime scene. And he's like, cool, I'm going to hang out here with you. Um, yep. <laughs> And they they go through the artist's diary and she's just like, oh, this is just all the times we had sex. And here's what all of them were. Vanilla, vanilla. We both came kinky. And I was like, this is wild. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, there's that scene where she's like, yeah, I write all these. Yeah. But, it, but there yeah. was one written from there was one written from the day he was murdered. Yeah, that's me. Also, yes, I like any game where the word amanuensis appears, which is the oh, yeah. person who takes notes for you. And um, that's a, that's a that's an SAT word. Um, yeah, it's just like the heavy handed, like over sexuality of it, I think, is one of the big themes of the movie of just her being so like she's been so objectified by this artist for such a long time that it's like her definition of herself is only sexual. Mm-hmm. And even the way that she spoiler, she murdered him. Um, yeah. It's the least surprising <laughs> revelation ever. But even the way she murdered him was like weird and sexual. It was and extra. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ooh, and all the stuff with the creepy life masks. Ooh. Yeah. The, yeah. I guess we need to talk about one of the main kind of cruxes of this game is like these are three unreleased movies for specific reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is the director Arthur got jealous that Marissa and John had started dating each other and decided to steal all the negatives. In this one, there is a very tragic accident that happens on set where Marissa uh, is there. There's a scene with a gun and she's using it and she shoots Carl and Carl dies. Um, Yeah, it's a real it's a real bullet in there. Yeah. Yeah. And is it an accident? Question mark. Well, I mean, but the way the the film is presented is it's a very big accident. And I have a lot of questions about what do they know and what don't they know? type of thing um uh-huh. yeah but uh this is reverent like very reminiscent of accidents that happen in real life on sets happened very recently on rust um, yes i don't know if that mm-hmm. happened around this time this game was being developed or like this was like they already had that plot point that happened again um 
that would be an interesting thing that's sam barlow like he that happened again it just made his brain start ticking when he wrote it um but yeah it's a very tragic thing that happens and it happens on sets because people just aren't careful and then the way this movie this movie's production is presented is like this is what happens when you guys are professionals and you kind of have to kind of roll with that in the same sense i think like uh what's the movie um twilight zone movie mm-hmm. yes 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 to- yes of the twilight zone movie i think it's that that era's tragedy like this where like um gosh what is his name it's a horrifying the the director of Mm -hmm. that segment what's his name i don't remember john landis because it's oh yeah yeah yeah. the the other landis that we shouldn't talk about um it he he does like it's the thing right like it felt like he never took responsibility for it and everything like that even though he had to like go to court and everything over it and yeah but it's just one of those things where like it's a tragedy and Stuff like that still happens, and it's a bummer. But it's, it's very interesting that they use that as a main plot point for this movie or this game. Right, and um, especially like the character of Carl, meaning the actual, like the actor who's depicted fictionally, mm-hmm. is always like in some kind of margin or transition. So it's like he's from California. He's brought to New York, and he has to like learn to do a New York accent. And he's brought into this world where people are very frank about sexuality and things like that. He has to be taught how to say the F word naturally. Cause he's, you just get, he has like such a squeaky clean beach boys image. And they're like, no, no, no. Like come in here and just like get really dirty with us. And they're um, like, Oh, you think the birds are counterculture? Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to the village. We'll show you the counterculture. <laughs> not like no one is like sneering at him he's very talented they all treat him with a lot of respect um but there is definitely this sense of like that their 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 lives are very different and um so he kind of remains in this in this outsider like very looked at role even i'm curious what you both think of this but when marissa in one clip that's like of rehearsals or whatever she's talking to someone who's holding the camera and she's like i'm gonna seduce carl greenwood and it's is it is it the director behind that camera and she's saying it right this is like it's i'm curious what we think of the interpersonal politics of this i i think it is and i think there's um there's a lot of history of this happening on sets like this all the time where like people just get tangled up like this um (laughs) but like it's that free looseness of the 70s and I thought, go, like, as I was piecing it together, and then I, I kind of figured it out afterwards. I thought, because I didn't, I didn't realize the weird stuff was like really, really important until like way later in the game when it started really coming clear. But I, mm-hmm. I totally thought um, that, uh, oh gosh, um, John got jealous and made it so like kill Carl and like set it up to so Carl would die. <laughs> like that's how I was, that's how I was playing it in my head. Right. Um, and then like yeah there's stuff that comes out later <laughs> but, but yeah i think i think that is like very like reminiscent of things that would happen on sets especially with couples who made movies together back then like this, this is just reminded me of um jesse did you listen to one of the more recent seasons of you must remember this which is about uh a well-known woman filmmaker, but I can't remember what her name is, um, who was like the partner of a famous guy. And... No, but it does remind me about a lot of the stories that were in the steamy 80s season. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, I think we can just agree that it's like a 
kind of a sordid environment. Yeah. And people are constantly just like simulating sex with each other and stuff. And it like gets very blurry. And there's, there's a thing in the seventies for sure that happens where the veneer of Hollywood gets ripped off. Cause if you like look at any like behind the scenes like biographies or even footage that comes out, there's a lot of gross stuff that was always happening. <laughs> like people yeah. were sleeping around and like getting drunk on set and doing drugs behind like it was all it was always happening. It's just it was so well hidden until the 70s. Right. They had those studio fixers. And yeah. then it's kind of this is uh maybe a strange analogy, but that's like my business. And um it kind of reminds me of now when the boundaries around movie stars are even more permeable because of things like Twitter, where it's like, can you please just like be famous and shut up? Like, I don't want to hear all your turfy thoughts. I don't want to know what you think about your servants or whatever, you know, like, just like, (laughs) please like keep the distance in some way. And this was kind of a, one of the first barriers to fall was that idea of like a fixer following you around and cleaning up your mess. Instead, it was like, the birth of tabloid culture and stuff like that was all there to um, see everything and document everything. And And like, I was fine blissfully being a fan of your work until you had to just get your own platform and be outwardly shitty. Yeah. (laughs) Like, why do I have to know that Chris Pratt married some evangelical lady? I don't care. Just go away. Just like be quiet. And there's a, that's why like people like always like, gets viral on trends every time it comes up someone's like like, oh this is fun i found this i should post this of like old hollywood films bloopers where they're cursing (laughs) like because yeah just don't think about it but they did yeah of course um so i guess we should move on to the third movie which i don't think will have as much to say because i think i do think minsky is the most fascinating part of this game um yes for me, at least. There's, so I, yeah. I wrote notes for this one, and it's just two lines. Um, it's two wrongs make a right, two murders make a life. Ooh. And I'm like, wow. profound. I'm like, <laughs> I, d- I did that while I was half exhausted. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. We'll leave that. Uh, and then, and then I stopped writing because I figured out something that I'm not going to talk about until we get to essentially the, the stuff the behind. Yeah, the the stuff behind the films. Well, so So, two of everything is like, at first it's a classic late 90s body swap movie. And it reminds me of things like The Parent Trap where they're like, hey, we can have the same person be in two places at once. You know, like, let's, let's do it. And the technology had emerged earlier than this. But like... Okay, so one of my favorite TV shows, Northern Exposure, uh, yeah. they did they did a body swap episode where the main character was actually two characters. He played his own fictional twin. And um, early uses of the technology, you can really tell that they have two panels over each other because they look dim. They just like mm-hmm. don't look the same as the other. Um, and so I don't think it was really until, I believe the Parent Trap remake was in 1997. And that sort of blew it wide open in terms of just having like a totally seamless body double experience compared with, I would guess that for the original Parent Trap, they did a lot of fully like cutting the film in half and like gluing it, you know? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think you could also like, I, I actually found myself thinking about the movie Dead Ringers from the 80s 
which is a Cronenberg. I believe Jeremy Irons is in it. It's been a long time yeah. since I've seen it, but uh, that's another. I mean, you could. I mean, in a more famous and slapsticky example would probably be the Nutty Professor with Eddie Murphy. Yeah, yeah, that's <clears throat> I think 1998, maybe. Mm-hmm. So kind of like a big little boom of those movies at that time. Or if you're the right kind of nerd like me, you know about Kind Hearts and Coronets from like the late 50s where Alec Guinness plays eight characters. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and that movie's dope. (laughs) I highly recommend it. That has Uh, Bugs Bunny first base, Bugs Bunny second base energy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, just imagine seeing Obi-Wan Kenobi like eight different times for eight different reasons, doing eight different things all at the same time. It's it's wild. Um, okay, and so the story emerges that there is an actress who's like a famous movie star person, pop star, but also an actress. And she realizes that her body double for things looks exactly like her. So they can switch. She can be like, I don't want to go to this thing. You can go for me and you can keep the money. And so far it sounds- Tag goals. (laughs) Yeah, so far it just sounds really cute. Um, Mm -hmm. And then a lot of weird stuff happens that isn't cute. And that's when it gets Lynchian, I think. Yeah, then rich rich man baby happens and yeah. But is he, okay, he's obviously one of the bad guys, but is he the real bad guy? Because the woman- Oh is, the, yeah, his, yeah. His, is it his wife? Yeah, it's yeah. his wife. Yeah, his She's his, his wife is just like, yeah, I'm gonna enable this because I live a very comfortable life with almost no effort. Yes. <sighs> yeah, there's there's a very interesting thing of that this movie being made in 1999, the biggest year for movies ever maybe like not box office but like movies that came out that year yeah 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 like the biggest year for that kind of stuff and like the most experimental year in a lot of ways i think like uh being john malkovich came out that year and stuff like that um it's also like an interesting time because i would have to like actually do research to double check this but uh it's a thought that came up while i was just thinking about this while we're talking um lifetime movies and mm-hmm. cable TV movies become a thing around this time. And this has very much elements of that. Um, like the Lifetime mid-morning special that <laughs> my mom would put on. It's like, who murdered my wife? <laughs> like those yeah, like it happened, it happened to me. I'm yeah. a teen prostitute, you know? Yeah, like, now that I think about it, my mom would totally watch this on a Sunday where she had nothing to do. Yeah, Lifetime movies started in 98. So, yeah. Mm. yeah okay so i think um i think jesse brought up the point before that just like the craft of filmmaking changed so much during this kind of fallow time and um two of everything has a quite good like turn of the millennium icy palette but it's also like the filmmaking is done in such like white colored daylight that it has no feeling in it and that's i think when you think about like a lifetime movie that's i think one of the big kind of gaps in the production quality is of um that they don't feel especially film like they don't feel like warm and you know as much as ambrosio is kind of like a silly fantasia of weird devil special effects and stuff it's like it has such a strong aesthetic point of view and two of everything just has that kind of like i don't know i think it's like the silver eyeshadow and like 
clear plastic sandals kind of vibe of that time. Yeah, and, it's like um, we're, we're lighting every scene just enough so it's not overlit. Yeah, and it just is like the quality of it is so um, harsh and almost like impersonal feeling for this thing that's supposed to be like a very personal story about like, what is it really to be yourself? What is it to imitate someone? And, you know, I can't remember who I, a friend played it and was like, it reminds me of um, Mulholland Drive or something. Oh, it might've been, it might've been Glenn, friend of the show, Glenn. And I, and we were like, is this, is this movie a thriller? Cause it has that, like, that like pure daylight. It's so, it doesn't look like it's not lit like a thriller. It's not presented like a thriller, even though at the end it's like people are getting murdered. And so, you know, it obviously becomes one. But yeah, it's it feels very much like a TV trying to make a hole and drive in some ways. Yeah. Um, it, you said something about the wigs in this section, um, especially that blonde wig. Oof. Um, it's real bad. I think it's on purpose, though. Yeah, I think that uh, that's the only there was some review that talked about how bad all the wigs were. And I'm like, ah, I don't I didn't I didn't agree with that. But that wig, I think, is on purposely like awful because that's kind of where production goes in like the late 90s early 2000s i don't know how many movies we've seen now where they're like oh that's a really bad wig mm-hmm. um, right and i think also um in context marissa is playing two very different characters but she is also like without getting we'll talk about what's kind of really going on quote unquote but like um she's struggling during this production yeah and yeah. um they have her playing these two different characters. She's like getting overwhelmed by the process. She's starting to have health problems. Um, so it's just kind of like, it's very hard to talk about without talking about the other stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think, we're, I think we're about there. The one last thing I wanted to kind of bring up too is, gosh, there was something else about like just the era of this. Oh, it's like the idea that the director has so much more control in the 90s, the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, something that kind of went away in the 70s, 70s and 80s is very much like improv, improv, improv. Uh, give give your suggestions on set, etc. Where nineties and two thousands directors always felt like, no, I wrote the script this way. This is how we're performing it, and that's yeah. where a lot of this come. A lot of this feels like that in the this the rehearsals, like over and over again, they're rehearsing these things, and they're trying to get the walks right, and they have everything staged, like plays on screen, is the nineties in my mind. So real, I think that's a really good observation, and. You're right that they go through such like elaborate rehearsals where they already have her like wearing the goofy wig and stuff, you know, and. And I think on top of that, like when that when they're actually filming scenes, that's where like I, I feel like the performances in these scenes are rather sterile, regardless of their content. And it reminds me of there's a French filmmaker named Robert Bresson who. Uh, in a lot of his films, he would actually shoot take after take after take after take with the express purpose of getting the emotion out. Oh, wow. Okay. And then, and then like in some of his films, it definitely works. Uh, in some, it's definitely grating. And I think that there's there's an artistic choice there, but I don't I don't think that is like two of everything ain't it. Um it is just coming across like we're saying these lines the way that people behind the camera want us to. And 
if we do a good job, we do the next. Uh, that's that's what the making of two of everything sort of rings to me as. And, and I think I have another English major thought. Um, so in the story of Minsky, the main character, who's the muse who ends up killing him, um, she talks a lot about him being this cubist artist who is trying to distill her to an image like by painting her picture over and over and over again until basically he's like Xeroxed her face so much that all that's left is like a little squiggle for her chin. And, you know, like it's, um, it's so reductionist and in the story, it's kind of parallel with her being put in this like smaller and smaller box where she felt she had no outside life and stuff like that. But um, it kind of mirrors the, the journey that this, person goes through in all three of these films and um by the time two of everything is coming out it is like a shoddy production it wasn't even written originally for her it was written before and had a different title and has been in like development hell and you know so it very much has a sense of like that this filmmaker is trying to revive his career by embracing whatever is the current thing and she's trying to be a good sport and sing this horrible song and do this motion capture stuff, you know, and it just like, doesn't, it doesn't wear well, in my opinion. I think that's kind of the point is that you're supposed to really see like the, there's an expression I'm trying to think of, but I can't think of it, but it's like, you're seeing, you're seeing how labored it is. And that time may not have passed on their faces, but it has passed in terms of their craft. It's like, it's almost like in a lot of ways we've ended up where we were in the first film. It's just the characters feeling the the burn are are different. Yeah. Um, this time the burn is felt in front of the camera as well as behind rather than just behind. Well, and they just like need to get paid, you know, yeah. that that's right. <laughs> yeah. Climate has changed. Last like thought about just being smart about making these movies in this eras at the end. We get treated in the credits of this game after all the weird stuff happens to the theme of two of everything which is the most 90s r&b pop song kind of like like even the batman movies got these yeah (laughs) Yeah. every 90s movie got one of these and that's the song that we get at the end of two of everything which is like man this this is totally wrong for whatever i just went through yeah this is also this is kiss from a rose this is this is kiss from a rose is is awesome i'm but just it's saying, like yeah. um it's like the song that plays the celine dion song over the end of titanic is kind of what it made me think most of like, it, it, most, sure. it made me think of um the song at the end of robin hood oh yeah Ooh, <laughs> good call jesse good call yeah um but the okay so matthew you played her story yes her story has a horrifying song yes. and it is uh chilling but it's yes. like a it's like a traditional seeming folk song. That's like a murder song mm-hmm. and um, two of everything. It's so funny. Cause it, it has all the like look and feel of that kind of pop song, but the words are bizarre. They don't make sense. They don't rhyme. And they're kind of like, it's, um, it's almost like the, like the Dutch angle of musical qualities where you're just like, something is not right here. Like yeah, the this, cadence isn't right. It's like so bizarre. It doesn't make sense. Why is this here? Why is this happening now? Whose idea like, was this? I just know he's using it to make me feel weird and scared and it works. Mm-hmm. 
I don't like yeah. seeing her sing it. She sings it again at the end. It's chilling. <laughs> and just to be clear, we're talking about Marissa singing. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, but um, she sings it like one of the last scenes in Two of Everything is her as the real Maria who's in the permanent other body now because Maria, quote unquote, was killed. Right. And she's like singing at an open mic. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, it's 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 rough. It's real rough. So I guess it's time to get to the weird stuff. But I also I noticed that all three of these films, it's always directed that it's the woman's fault in these movies. And it's just very interesting that all three of them have the same exact quote unquote bad guy is it's the women in the in the movies and the people making in the movies and etc. Yes. Yes. I mean, so that's on purpose, a hundred percent. It's just it's just very interesting because you would think you you might switch it up tonally a bit. So as a little interlude, like when you when you look at the the about section in the menus for this game, the prominent question you see is what happened to Marissa Marcel. Thinking about that statement, I I spent the majority of my time until some shit went down for me thinking specifically about that um so i was thinking about like marissa's relationship to males as the character she was playing as well as the people on and off screen like the the way she related with directors and i was trying i i spent so much time um worrying about like making sure i didn't miss something there (laughs) And, and, uh, while I kind of feel like this is before we get to the, 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 I mean, I'll call it the game at this point. Um, I, I felt like this set of clips, if you look at them in chronological order, like in terms of like when they were filmed and you see a woman like just just chewed up and beaten down by Hollywood it seems like to me and it seems like anybody that addresses her that is male is only seeing the pretty face they don't want to give her a time of day and looking at that through kind of my I felt so heartbroken for Marissa (laughs) um and then like before I go on to my end, then actually, I, I should, did either of you have any thoughts there? I think what you said is apt because even without needing a like a literal answer to what happened to Marissa Marcel, like you said, you just see the way that she's like bodied around on these mm-hmm. film sets, and um, even like with someone who I think treated her pretty well, the director John of the second film Minsky. He's still like, oh, we should improvise this scene. And then the scene ends up like with them violently sexually wrestling each other and being like, I'm going to murder you. You know, it's just like, can anything just like nice ever happen? (laughs) Yeah. Well, see, like I I found I found like specifically in Minsky, like there's a time where Marissa is standing behind the counter and just at her counter camera asking John questions. and, And she flat out asked him, so do you? fuck all your leading actresses yeah and that that clearly seems to come from a place of pain and anger and with the way that i played it shortly after i got the um good men kissing the director scene mm-hmm. and i was like 
oh, oh, so he's just he's just like, okay, you want to play that way? I can do this too. <gasps> um, and it, and then like that whole dichotomy played in my head for a very long time. Any thoughts there, Jesse, or no? I, I think you guys kind of summed it up pretty well. Okay, Are we ready for the weirdness. So, so here is where the weird shit happened for me. And I realized I was doing something wrong the entire time. I got the scene where you see Marissa Marcel die. Oh, the fire, right? No. Oh, wait. Where, where she's at the bar and collapses. Oh, the blood, the blood. The, the blood oh. in the forehead. And I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute, what happened? Because I, 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 I might've gotten distracted by like a Discord alert or something, but I scrubbed backward. And then they appeared. And I'm like, wait, who are these two? <laughs> yeah, I think it was like 30 clips in before I realized, wait, there's like, weird things happening in the background. I'm like, wait, what? Hold on. What's happening? And then I started going back through every clip and I didn't get through all of them because I, but at this point I had seen quite a bit of, I had seen quite a bit of this game in terms of like clip time. And I was like, I, I just said to myself, yo, they tell you in the tutorial to scrub backwards. And I never did. Well, and I think for people playing with, um, I think, Jesse, you played with a controller. Yeah, right? that's super helpful. Because I, th- I think um, not to tip sweet Jesse's hand too much, but he said to me, like, my controller was buzzing and I didn't know what it was doing. <laughs> and then um, this is I what I get for turning my vibration off. <laughs> I just played on PC with my keyboard and so a lot of those cues didn't exist when I was playing through so I ended up doing Matthew similar to what you did I really just unlocked most of the just regular scenes before Mm -hmm. I started to like I had seen I had seen the secret characters a few times but I wasn't looking for them on purpose so then I ended up actually looking up a guide and then just picking off scene by scene and unlocking a lot of that story that way. And um, then I played the game with a friend who I, I didn't play, he played and I was watching and he was playing on a controller. So he had the cues in real time and would be like, Hey, did you hear that? Like in your left headphone or whatever, you know? And so I was like, Mm -hmm. Oh, this is, yeah, this is like a totally different dynamic of experiencing this story. But I actually, I kind of liked the way that it unfolded for me because then the hidden scenes almost became like a fourth film. They were yeah. much more like coherent to me. And because um, if I had seen that stuff right away, that would have blown my little brain wide open and it would have changed how I was feeling about what was happening. See, and this is how, this is how I ended up seeing this movie, this movie, movie, this game as five movies, because I was thinking of the three that we, we get. And then the, what happened to Marissa Marcel? I was trying to like, pick apart the abstract parts of that Mm, uh and then this happened and i'm like wait a minute this has been here the whole time now i remember hearing the audio like rumble like the like the hum that happens on the major scenes where you can scrub backward but i never really registered for me to do anything with the control so i just kept watching clips and i was doing what i did in her story where instead of looking for specific words, I would like, if I got to a scene I had seen before, I would click a different part. Mm, okay. So yeah. that was how I kept unlocking new things. And uh, and and 
I think because of that way, like this became one of the most interesting things I've done this year. And so how do we want to tackle this part of it? I think we should summarize what it is. Okay. Because if we don't do that, we'll be here forever. This is true. Uh, <laughs> and then kind of take it apart from like, what do we think it means? Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So basically what you learn through this, what, what do they call it exactly? They call it uh, subverted footage. What you find throughout these clips is if you dig around them a bit, things will change or new clips will appear of these ghostly like people. Mm -hmm. Um, And are they so? So there are they are played by different people. I I, for a while I thought they were the same actor and actor and actresses, but they are different people. Um, You learn that these are basically entities that have been around forever, and they take over people's bodies. Um, and in this, the one took over Marissa's in during World War II. Um, this explains away why she never rages. Explains why she's always just slightly off. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it all kind of makes a lot of sense once that starts coming together. And there's a lot of really lovely like soliloquies that are given by the one throughout about history and how maybe the one was Jesus, maybe the one was Mary. Um, yeah, there's a yeah. lot of maybe the one was eve like we don't know um and then you learn that there is another one of these entities that show up and takes over carl's body in uh minsky and gets jealous is it it, does it get jealous is that what it is of john i don't know if jealousy is the right thing here she the the female one talks a lot about how the two of them just had like different ideas for yeah. what they thought relating to humanity should be like. But the, the and, male one was getting in the way, was what it seems like. Right, like she was um, she was feeling limited and like inhibited by him and his ideas. Yes. So she killed him. It's my feeling. Like, oops, oh no, the gun was real, you know? And it would, at least it might not kill, kill him, but it would like put him to sleep for a long time. Yeah, the, that I think that's maybe my favorite reveal is when you back up the killing scene in, in Minsky and it shows that she's killing the other one but then there's another hidden scene and it's like a zoom up of him dying and then there's another hidden scene yeah where, yeah, where yeah. You, you see that he eventually takes over the 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 woman the other female lead in two of everything uh, yes. and that's where he ends up and he goes oh isn't that kind of like a lovely <laughs> ending <laughs> kind of thing I wonder what happens next. Um, and then you see the very final thing where he shows up and burns. <laughs> yeah. And burns the one. Oh. So the, the, the continue the summary of the, this is um after Carl dies, the one has to admit to John what they are. John does not take that well. So the one kills John, takes over his body, and now has both Marissa's and John's body at use. But that's why Marissa disappears for a long time because she's like, I'm going to play as John for a while. And that's John goes to be a successful director. And mm-hmm. then for some reason decides to dust off Marissa to make two of everything. And to pretend to be these two people is very draining on this one, the female one. And that's why the scenes of her, like the blood coming out of her head, her getting a bloody nose, her passing out in the middle of sets. um, Yeah. That's why that happens um, to the point where she's like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. Hey, male one, can you kill me? Yeah. Yes. It's um, there's like some really, I think. So the actress who plays the female one is 
amazing. She's yeah. magnetic. And she's Carlotta like, Molin, yeah. she's uh, a dancer and there are beautiful scenes of her dancing, but even just like extraordinary close-ups of her face. She's exquisite, but um, there's heartbreaking ones where the clips that you see in two of everything, she's much more like, like, why am I still doing this? How many times have I done this? Does it seem like I'm having any fun? Like it's, it gets very heartbreaking and melancholy. And um, there is a, there's a hidden scene in two of everything where you flash through every, well, not every, but it seems to be a lot of the one's previous hosts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And at the end of that, once you get to like the fifth or fourth, the fourth or fifth clip of that, the one says, I don't remember them all. Yes. Or I can't remember. I think, I think it's, I can't remember all the faces and um, it, and like, again, I'm, I'm, I'm like, what, what's going on still at this point? Well, once it all comes together, you're like, oh, <laughs> that's what that is. Yeah. Right. And she talks on, um, on the fake Johnny Carson show, when you find there are like four clips of her nestled in that, in that one clip, um, she talks about how she remembers it almost like, like stuff from very early childhood or, you know, where you're like, I, I think this happened. I have like a feeling that it happened, but I don't really remember. And mm-hmm. um, it's, yeah, it's very interesting. And and so en- the ending of the one is her being burned on film. And this goes to like the, the, the very end of the game and what happens before you get credits. But I think we might want to save that to like the very end to talk about that and what that means. I guess my question is to you guys, like how much do you think where do you lean on the sense of this is actually happening? Like this is an actual thing or this is just another play at filmmaking. <laughs> this is another, someone's trying to make things weird for others in film. Um, so I think for me, I think that the kind of meta story adds so much, like the experience that I had playing with it was, um, was much less of like the literal cohesive story that Jesse is describing. Um, But just like seeing these evocative moments of this other person commenting, it's almost like, um, I'm trying to think of how to say what I mean. It's, It's almost like an episode of you know, VH1 behind the music or something, something that Matthew and I were just talking about too, but um, so because she has this omniscient perspective, she, the person she is today or whatever, is able to walk you back decades and talk to you about things like that she observed um, the Ambrosio actor and Sophia, the Italian woman, having a relationship and she was like they were just like so beautiful together and you know like her real thoughts about all these things that had happened in a way that you almost never actually get to hear from real actors and actresses who are Mm -hmm. looking back in that way and so I think yeah it's it's like an interesting like it's presented somewhat monstrously like there's that scene where she appears in Minsky and she's alongside um, Carl Greenwood and the director, John, and she has bitten out both of their throats. Yeah. (laughs) And um, it also, I think, speaks to something Jesse was saying, which is like, in all three of these movies, the woman is always the bad guy. And you find out 
that she has been not like the, not like the puppet master, but like she has had a lot more agency over what has been happening to her than you think when you're watching it. Yeah. And um, so that is kind of an interesting, cool, it almost turns it into like a revenge fantasy. And yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it in that sense. I'm sorry. Yep. That didn't really answer your question exactly. No, um, I, that's, I think it's good though. I, Cause <laughs> it, it, it boils into what I first initially thought when I was getting these clips was, Oh, this is just the embodiment of what every actress had to go through. Yes, you know, she's this, like an archetype that's alive. Yeah, she she is the pain and the suffering of these actresses in these films because of those early clips I got the way her monologues and stuff were like she's like and I had to do this and I had to deal with this guy and I had a I had to suck it up and I had to just deal and like but then you realize she's talking about more about her history in general too with like war and when they talk about the war stuff but then mm-hmm. the way that the male one gets in her way and how he's always always acting so much more pompous than she is mm-hmm. it's like oh yeah this these are just like embodiments of the actor and the actress <laughs> yes yes I think that's apt i kind of i don't know for some reason i think my my read feels different i don't know if it actually is you're gonna have to go with me on this i found myself thinking of a lot of other uh films and stories uh when watching the clips of the one and the other that i did get at probably their easiest extreme i kind of felt like um the movie Jason and the Argonauts, where you have Zeus and I believe Hera just sort of talking about the future of Jason's ship. Cool, yeah. So it's it's sort. I mean, I I did sort of get. I it, to me these rang as like metaphysical beings, and they are definitely they are definitely sort of embodying humans, almost like we humans would embody a video game character maybe or a, a or, or a character we might create in a tabletop role-playing game or just you have just a more immersive game of Candyland. i don't know um but i i what the strongest read for me was uh, the film uh last year at marianbad which is sort of a it's it's a romance but no character in it really has a name so it's kind of more it's it's dealing more with like the abstract to and fro of a wayward romance that is both imagined and might not work or might not even exist and between these two uh, there's probably a, a a a midpoint where the the dichotomy between the one and the other exists between last year at Marybad and Jason and the Argonauts where the one, Harlata, is aiming at something pure and expressive and really trying to reach that sort of transformative state of art. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other is sort of like, why are you fucking with these humans like this? We've done this yeah. before. We've done this before. The stories have been told. They're not, they're not that good. Clearly, these folks can't do this. Uh, and, and that's where he sounds like a pompous prick. Um, Matthew, and- I think you bring up a very interesting, it's kind of like a, like a metaphor for how people in the broader culture view filmmaking 
in general. Where it's like, oh, you get to, I mean, I think in, in the broader culture, it's probably like, oh, you get to pretend for a while and you get millions of dollars. Whereas it's probably not that easy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's also like the art that they make has value. And yeah. even if it is fun to do, that doesn't mean that it's, you're like, he talks to her like it's, um, like it makes me think of like, stories about ancient Rome where people, you know, had slaves that supported their lifestyle and then they would just like recline and eat grapes, you know, <laughs> like that's yeah. it. And she kind of shows how much labor there is emotional and otherwise in trying to be part of this world, especially as a woman. Yeah. And then, oh, oh, go ahead, Jesse. No, you no, go first. You, I've been talking a lot. You go ahead. I think I've been talking quite a bit too. Um, there's, there's a sense too of like how we treat celebrityism in general. And we talked about before, it's like sometimes celebrities are platforms. It's like, come on, I don't, I don't care. But at other times we treat them like sheep, like that were hurting to be killed and feed us. Um, yeah. Especially with paparazzi. And this game tries to balance both of those ideas. I think, um, I think it does a really good job of like presenting both like ideologies of what celebrityism is. Um, I think it helps out a lot of the actors in the um, the game itself and also within the world of the game are low actors. They're not super famous and inside the reality of the game, they're not super famous either. Yes. So I think mm-hmm. that helps a lot. And then the one real, the one real thing I didn't like, I have ideas on, but I have a, I have a hard time grappling with is the eating <laughs> um, because I, I don't want to just say, Oh, they're vampires because I feel like that's just that is that is low-hanging fruit we can do better but I kind of think getting back to what, what both of you have said about the labor and the craft and the perception of it and the loss of essence maybe interesting in in service of it and while like we we have seen you know great actors directors artists painters, singers, performers have long careers and there are countless others that have little to none, probably more in a, in a, Mar, in a Marissa Marcel mirror sort of way. And I think the, the two beings in the one and the other, spe- more specifically the one in her pursuit of like a pure transformative artistic expression and experience like that doesn't happen without taking a lot uh, out of the people creating it yeah i think there's also i said the, the stuff with again i said this before but um to me the story of the one and the other one was much more kind of like gestural and figurative mm-hmm. um, oh definitely but i i think the the scenes where she's like consuming blood and stuff um, made me think of like so much of the rehearsal time that we see for all the movies is stuff like chemistry tests where you're watching two people who've barely met and we have to like see them make out. And um, there's so much of giving of yourself and also taking on board other people's qualities and having to always be adapting and reshaping. And it's true that every person does that every day, no matter what their job is or, you know, but for performers, it's so boiled down. And so that idea of like, like not only is she forced to take different bodies over time, but she's also like 
ingesting these smaller amounts of just like what other people are and making that a part of herself and even the kind of lascivious way that she was talking about enjoying seeing the two actors together from Ambrosio, you know, Mm -hmm. she just like has this, this like almost like sensual urge to consume things. Hmm. Does that feel too far out? I know. I like that. (laughs) That's good. I like, yeah. (laughs) You have to like digest. (laughs) I I feel, I feel like somewhere in here, we've gotten a really good grip on this and I feel a lot better having talked about it with both of you, uh, considering uh, Look Behind the Curtain last night, Caroline and I recorded a trivial merit. And right after that, I go, I am excited and terrified to talk about this. About this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yes. so, yeah. Uh, so then it goes to like the final twist of it all. And there's hints of this up to the point that happens the lore of these creatures these ones is if they die on film they can possess anybody that watches the film which boy howdy that is some like (laughs) urban legend stuff dude Um, that is the best execution of Candyman in the history of anything um and so once you unlock like once you trigger enough of these important scenes that kind of piece enough of the story together yourself if you're big brain like some people um i i still needed like more clubs to figure it out but once you do that your game uh becomes unplayable yep and slowly every clip turns into the one and then um <laughs> i i was like talking i was chatting caroline but uh i was just like kind of like talking to myself i was like i don't know what i'm supposed to do here because on xbox you have to zoom out all the way if you are not already for it to trigger i think on pc mm. it just kind of triggers <laughs> so I, no, like, I had to, zo- I had to zoom out i had to zoom out okay because i was like i did too it's like, am I, is my game broken? So I like restart like three times. <laughs> oh no! I like figured it out. Um, and she basically says, uh, I don't remember the exact lines, but basically like you're possessed now. You no, are. She says, I'm part of you now. Yeah. And, oh, and it's like her huge face. Yeah. Oh, it, she's so pretty. She's Ugh. so yeah. good at staring into your soul. <laughs> when, yeah. There, the, when I saw this, I, I could not sleep. <laughs> After I saw, I like, I would like, I went in, I went, so my computer is just across the hall from where I sleep. And I walked in and Reba had fallen asleep. She still had lights on, but she heard me come in and she's like, what's going on? I'm like, oh no, nothing, nothing. Everything's fine. I'm not fine. Um, but everything's fine. And she's like, what do you mean you're not fine? I go, I, I can't. I just saw a thing on the computer screen and i don't know if i'm going to live through the night because of it (laughs) and um when i finally calmed down and started thinking about just the way that her face is framed um this might be like that particular scene might be one of the best performed scenes and i know that it's not very it's not very long but it made me think of the movie The Passion of Joan of Arc by Carl Theodore uh, Dreyer from 1928 and all of the scenes that are close up to um I think it's Jean René it's no I'm sorry it's René Jean Falconetti who plays Joan of Arc in that movie I had not been so haunted by a face since I first saw that movie oh wow And and it's not like it's a movie I've seen a couple of times, but I can't watch it 
like with any sort of regularity because I will never sleep if I do. And like when I saw this, I'm like, this is where this becomes spooky. Like this is for me. All the other stuff was, all the other stuff's very nice, very well done, good on you. But this is just like, oh, this is in my core now. I've never felt anything like this game, movie, or otherwise. Like, this is wild. Yeah, it has the quality of, like, a very good creepypasta where it gives you that feeling, like, irrationally, like you're being watched or something, you know? Yeah. Very, very creepy stuff. So basically now that we've talked about the ending and... Kind of talked about everything. I think this might be one of our longest episodes, which is very good because we talked about technically three movies in one episode. Um, yes. Any final thoughts about immortality? I've kind of become the host. I'm sorry, Matthew. No, that's fine. I mean, we're 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 all in this together, Jesse. Um, I think I I I get it. I I know what immortality is, and immortality <laughs> is talking about Harlata's face at the end of this movie like that is that is what it is and I love that I think the company I forget I forget the development team's name um made say that again mermaid half mermaid half Half mermaid okay so I think half mermaid have something unbelievably special here and while I would love it to blow up I want the people that play this that will take, I don't want to say the correct lessons from it, but that will take, that will take the ability to stand on its shoulders and see what they do. This, this, I mean, this is, this, this is so cool. And I, I'm, I'm going to get right out of the gate and say, thank you for bringing this Caroline. Oh, I'm so glad. And I think you brought up something that I think is very interesting, which is like, this game has a very strong point of view at the same time that it leaves so much for you to think about. Like, mm-hmm. it's hard for me to imagine someone playing this game and getting the full experience without, in some way, implicitly or explicitly, kind of understanding what is being depicted and seeing all the casual sexism and stuff like that. Um, so it's kind of like, Ooh, Matthew, before you compared it kind of to when you inhabit a character, when you're playing a game or when you're playing like a tabletop game even. Mm-hmm. And I think that this game, because you are seeing everything from the perspective of this person who over generations is kind of a cipher, you can project yourself into the experience that she's having. And so it becomes very relatable when she's like, I'm exhausted by this, playing all these different people and being all these different bodies and um, the politics of trying to disagree with my own partner. And so it really puts you very personally in the middle of all the stuff that's happening in an interesting way, considering you're only ever watching clips. My, my kind of final thought on it all is there's, there was, there's a sad mentality that permeated the golden age of hollywood and it still kind of does now i guess i don't i don't know i don't interview actors for a living um you don't (laughs) uh, i know right uh but there's the not with that attitude 
there's the idea that you live forever if you're on film and that's where a lot of people were striving for it's just like i just want to make one good movie so people remember me Mm -hmm. um and there's a lot of actresses especially that just didn't get there and what's so so kind of bittersweet about this is I, I get you you start losing the um idea that these are like real people and i'm like i wish marissa just had that one good movie that made it yeah because uh, none of these come out none of these none of these are real movies i mean archivists are looking through them but none of them become that movie and it's the tragedy that makes it Im- immortal yeah yeah you're right um also did either of you get the scene where the one is singing a song i don't remember um i believe she is well i mean i don't think she's not actually singing it i think she's lip syncing um enoni's cover of candy says by the velvet underground oh wow and all I could think about when I was watching that is like in Lou Reed's first album, um, Transformer, where he's uh, the, the song, Hey Babe, Walk on the, Come Take a Walk on the Wild Side. Like he's talking about all these characters he knew that ended up in sort of, I, I'll say the, the New York underground. Like these were also, these were all people that ended up, you know, as Warhol superstars or stu- superstar adjacent, I believe when he wrote this particular song, "Candy Darling," was one of those as well. And this this seems to be like a very long, a very long sort of narrative of one of those as well. And it, it when I saw when I did see that, and I saw that after credits and everything, after I had had my mind sort of melted by and by uh, the one saying she's part of me now. Um, this was the, seeing that it brought a whole lot more into focus, which is why I think the story of Marissa Marcel, like her trial and trials and tribulations through this near career, we can call it is like the fourth movie of five yeah and um yeah this <laughs> this, this this was so good um do we want to talk about what we've been watching uh it's up to you it's up to you I, i'm fine either way it's 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 a pretty long episode i understand but i cannot let caroline go away without talking about the nolan ryan documentary Yes. Yeah. Uh, the, um, I was, I was, this was brought to my attention by you on Twitter. And I'm like, there's a Nolan Ryan documentary. Holy heck. And then I watched it and it's amazing. It's uh, wonderful. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So for folks at home, Nolan Ryan is the coolest man to ever live. Um, he's the most, maybe the most successful MLB player at all, overall. He's, he played for like over 20 seasons. Mm -hmm. Um, He holds many records that exist to this day. Mm -hmm. He 
is just like, um, he never really had public scandals. He's been married to the same lady for like 50 years. Um, he once famously punched Robin Ventura in the head. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the documentary about him is just like, it's feature length and it's, both exploring with him as he is today with his family, including all his grandchildren and stuff. Oh, big and... grandpa energy out of Nolan Ryan. Oh, yeah. Can he, you imagine was... your... Oh, I wish he was my grandpa. That'd be awesome. Your grandfather is Nolan Ryan? He's like the most <laughs> decorated pitcher in history? And he's well, the weird like... thing is, the weird thing is, he's not. He never won a Cy Young, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's like a whole... Yeah, but... I um... mean, yeah, all that aside. But like, yeah, that's so funny. Most strikeouts of all time never won Cy Young. Like, how? It's so strange. Yes, he has like seven no hitters in his career, which is incredible. And, um, but I think if you, even if you don't know a lot about baseball, um, he's one of the most charismatic figures who almost, he, he ends up having kind of like a, like a Forrest Gump quality because of the length of his career alone that he just Mm -hmm. like overlapped with hundreds and hundreds of players and um it's about his identity as as like a man who was providing for his family and also taking really good care of himself and he felt very like he belonged in texas which was his home and um it's just like very affirming and interesting it kind of took me back to those vibes of like the ken burns baseball tapes you know oh yeah i love those yeah so I would, yeah, I would say it's on Netflix, but it's probably other places too. Just like dig it up and check it out. You'll know right away if you are not going to like it. Um, yeah, it's called Facing Nolan. It, it's wonderful. It is wonderful. Yes. Um, I, I, I think the only thing I would add onto that, Nolan Ryan seems to be uh, with a less philanthropic Dolly Parton of baseball. <laughs> like, okay. Like, I mean, just because of our, our Trivial Merit episode, like, long career, but just, I'm just, I'm just going to be me. That's, that's what Nolan Ryan's doing. That's what, that's what he did the entire time. Yes. And, uh, and yeah, one of, one of my favorite sports figures. Yes, I agree. Um, but other than that, I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste a lot of time. <laughs> talking about things I've watched because I could talk a lot about anime and a lot about Gundam, but we've been going a while. Is there anything you've watched, Jesse? Um, I saw uh, a movie in theaters, like the last like showings that I think they'll ever have in this area. Uh, See how they run. It's a murder mystery starring Sam Rockwell, Sir Sarah, Sarah Ronan, Adrian Brody, Ruth Wilson. Um, wow. Uh, David. Uh, Oh, Eliel, I'm gonna. His name is so hard. His last name is so hard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of people. It's it's a great ensemble. It likes to poke fun at the murder mystery genre very well. It also kind of pokes fun at true crime. Interestingly enough, um, yeah, I think it's just fun. If you like uh, Wes Anderson movies, I think it's charming in that way. If you liked Knives Out, it's charming in that way. So it's, okay. it's a good middle. That does sound really fun. Is there anything else you've watched, Caroline? Ooh, okay. I do have a little recommendation. I just watched Josh Gondelman's 
new stand-up special, which is on Amazon, and it's called People Pleaser. And he is like, he was a writer for uh, Jesus and Marrow, and um, he's married to a really famous literary lady, Maris Kreitzman, I believe is her name. So he's like a very public, like comedy writer and also wife guy. He just has really good energy. And um, I checked the special out on a whim and I was shocked by how good it is. It's, it made me laugh out loud so many times. He just has like a really nice delivery style that's really low key. And um, so if you're looking for something maybe from someone you've never heard of, but that is really funny and like progressive in a non-intrusive way, I would recommend that. Nice. Caroline, where can people find you on the internet? Ooh, I am. Was it AT&T? That's everywhere you want to be. That's, that's me. Um, you can find me on Twitter. It's Editoria. If you see me around, you know what it is. Um, you can track me down through either of these two because we're friends. And yes. uh, I write for Popular Mechanics. I write for Unwinnable. So I'm just always bopping around different places and doing stuff. Now... I guess, I guess I'll go because I can also say Caroline and I host a music podcast called Trivial Merit. Yeah, that's uh, true. You can, you can find that at Trivial Merit on Twitter. Um, you can find me at infinite underscore rewind. I am also part of uh, one other podcast at this particular point in time called the bod- the bald gun guy show. Uh, that is from the folks at Scanline Media who have invited me to nerd out about Hitman as we play through the entire modern trilogy. We have gotten through Hitman 2 proper. We are about to start the DLC, then the Sniper Assassins, and then we will go into Hitman 3 and the DLC that has come out for that. So we do about one a month. Uh, we are about to record the New York, New York episode. Uh I think it's gun guy pod on Twitter, scanlinemedia.com. Check their stuff out. Their stuff is great. And six and Ty are absolute saints for letting me join them. I appreciate that so much. Jesse. You can find me everywhere on the internet at sleeper of the bed. I have another podcast called why comics. You can find that at why comics podcast. I have something maybe kind of cool coming later this week. We'll see. Um, <laughs> and uh, you can find this show on Twitter at Free Reeling It, and you can email us at freereelingit at gmail.com. If anything you want to talk about, you can email us. We don't know what our next movie is going to be, so maybe suggest that. We'll figure that out. Yeah, um, we'll figure that out another time. <laughs> uh, lastly, Matthew, who does our theme song? Uh, my buddy Jason. Uh, he goes by. Uh, the name Deadeye, D-E-A-D-I, all caps when you spell the man's name. You can find him on Spotify. You can find him on Bandcamp. His new album, Bloodshed Kingdom, is, includes our uh, theme song, which is it's a wonderful album. Ooh. Very good instrumental reggae, as far as I'm concerned. He was also part of a duo that released one of my favorite uh, albums ever in 2013 it's called black lightning it's a whole bunch of movie references and it rules you just listen to it listen to both of them uh jason will never admit it he's very talented and i'm not saying that because he's my best friend i'm saying that because i believe it uh my my shirt is raising questions that my shirt has already answered (laughs) wait what oh i'm just because the way you were like it's not just that he's my best friend. It's like my shirt that he's my best friend is raising questions that are already answered by my shirt. 
Meanwhile, he has a shirt that says, I'm with silly. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Remember, everybody, uh, every movie that you've ever seen happened to my friend Jeff once. (laughs) 